Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm your host, Bob Krell, from the Healthy Indoors Live Show, part of Healthy Indoors Magazine's continuing live coverage. Today is no exception. We're going to continue our discussions we've been having over the past couple of weeks regarding the COVID-19 crisis in the United States. Um, our topic uh, for today's broadcast will be COVID-19 safety precautions for contractors. Hey, pipes break, HVAC equipment fails, service often is going to have to be done during this crisis. Um, how do we deal with that as far as being in a circumstance where we're in a self-imposed lockdown and quarantine? Can a contractor safely work in buildings during this pandemic? And how should they be communicating to their uh, client base? So with today's group, um, we've got a great panel for you today. Uh, I'd like to take, go around the horn and introduce them. Um, and I want to preface this by saying we're going to ask a lot of questions in today's uh, today's show, and uh, we're probably going to have more questions than answers. But what we're hoping to do is at least raise awareness and point you toward uh, some some directives that can help you uh, weather your way through this. Um, and also want to preface that we're not talking specifically or even in actuality about doing cleanups in critical care environments. Okay, this is more for the general contracting environment and the service providers that you know work in buildings on a regular basis. So with us today, Brian Orr. Uh, Brian is the co-founder of uh, Kalos Services Incorporated in Orlando, Florida. He, uh, it's an HVAC contracting business as uh, he's also a podcaster, author, and trainer at large for the HVACR School. Com. Brian is the father of 10 kids and a husband of a Jedi princess. In his spare time, uh, Brian doesn't have any spare time. Really appreciate you being here today. I guess uh, I, I know your time is valuable. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Excellent. Tom Peter. Tom is a certified industrial hygienist for IRS Restoration in uh, Monroe, uh, based in Monroe, New Jersey. Uh, he's been working for over 20 years and as a both an industrial hygienist and a project manager for environmental remediation services such as mold, HVAC system cleaning, sewage damage, biohazard, and other specialty cleaning. He has, an undergradu he has undergraduate degrees in chemical technology and environmental science and a master's degree from New York Medical College in, in environmental and occupational health science. He's a CIH, but he's a contractor, yeah, not an IH consultant. Welcome, Tom. Good to see you again. Thank you. And, uh, our returning champion, <laughs> coming from coming from coming from the Western uh, uh, state of Colorado, it's Joe Medosh. He's a healthy home scientist for Hayward Score. Good to see you, Joe. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. So, well, let's let, let's talk about some of the things here. Um, Again, uh, Tom, just, just to understand, Tom actually does have a lot of expertise dealing with specialty cleaning and dealing with biohazard cleanup. Um, so he comes from that specialty side working in those type of critical environments. You do that all the time, right? Right, yeah. And Brian is uh, running an HVAC <laughs> contracting company and training to that industry. And uh, so you're, you're dealing more in the general contracting space, correct? You don't do specialty cleanup or any of that sort of thing, do you? No, no, especially cleanup. Uh, we do a lot of service, but then also uh, we work. We do work in grocery stores and things like that as well, which are a little different. But not no specialty type of uh, cleaning. Okay, so uh, I guess my first question is: uh, Do we need a new uh, standard operating procedure SOP uh, for COVID nineteen? I mean, and again, talking to the general contracting community, um, 
how how is an HVAC contractor or a plumber or really any other service provider uh, supposed to deal in this, these environments? I'll, I'll direct that to Brian. Brian has an interesting blog out on his site. We'll show uh, the link to that in a few. Yeah, do we need new standard operating procedures? The answer is yes, absolutely. The challenge that exists is that um, there's some things that there's some things we definitely know, which is that you contract um, COVID-19, um, which is, you know, that's actually what you contract, but it's, you know, SARS-CoV-2, uh, I guess, is the actual name of the virus. You contract it from people. It grows within people. That's where, that's where it's really populating. But then when we interact with other people, we come in close proximity to them. That's when we're in the greatest risk. But the question remains, how much of a risk are we in when we're just working on equipment? And we don't have all of those answers. We have some basic studies that haven't been fully peer reviewed with very small sample sizes that seem to say that, yes, it can be uh, airborne for a period of time or borne by air, I guess, to be more uh, specific, but that it's unlikely for it to be present inside of equipment by the time it travels through ducting and, and other uh, situations like that. But there's questions about ductless systems and there's questions about uh, packaged terminal air conditioners and that are in closer proximity to the people who are possibly coughing and expelling those um, those particles. So, so yeah, we, we do the best we can based on what we know. And we know, we probably know where the greatest risks are because we know how um, the virus survives, which is inside of the host. And so the closer you are to somebody who carries it, the more at risk you are. But the question remains, how at risk are we when we're working on equipment, doing our daily jobs, when we're not in close proximity to the customer? Yeah, so, so that raises- medical that raises, wait, are you a, Are you a medical professional on the side also? Brian, you did not disclose that on your resume. That <laughs> yeah, was pretty impressive. Well yeah. done. I've been doing a lot of reading over the last four weeks. That's that's all. Yeah. So I think I'd need to disclose like we all do that uh, I'm not a I'm not a, uh, a hygienist. I'm not a microbiologist, but I have spoken to a lot of people who are those things, and that's where uh, I've been learning from from these experts. But by no means am I an expert, given that these people who do it for a living and are true professionals, they even have more questions than answers. So I'm going to kick that over to Tom at this point uh, because Tom is a professional in that, and he is an industrial hygienist, which is perfect counterpoint. So, yeah, I agree with Brian and, uh, you know, we have to be cautious. And I was going to ask Brian, you know, with his service techs out there, um, what's he doing with the guys? You got two guys in a truck, you know, they're not, they're pretty close to each other. And so are our guys, our guys, we have two guys in each truck servicing people. And I'm concerned about their health and safety. Um, if one feels that they have symptoms or, they should be uh, quarantined or, or be aware of it and let people know if, if they're not feeling well for that day. Uh, and I told our crews that uh, they need to ask the customer too if, there's, if they have any illnesses in the house. And we try to ask that before we even get out to the jobs, you know, try to screen them and, you know, keep our distance, you know, social distancing at six feet and we still have to proceed and do our work. And the difference is that our guys have, are equipped with uh, PPE if they need it, uh, especially N95s and gloves and so forth for day in and day out water losses, duct cleaning or anything else. So that's pretty standard in our field. So it's easy for us to get that those supplies. I, uh, I want to, so I'm not here as a professional. I'm here to harass everybody and give the worst case scenario and remind you of other things that are challenged questions. That's my role as a uh, co-presenter with Bob. So why don't you 
Tompkins, you have the most uh, professional approach or the, and also probably the highest risk for some of your um, folks, considering what you know you're going into, because they could say they have this issue in their house. Why don't you just briefly describe your existing standard of practice from the time somebody calls you on the phone briefly to what happens to the two guys in the truck and what happens when they uh, get out of the truck, just briefly kind of what are some key things that you always make sure this is a standard practice now for us. And maybe it already has been, but now you've upped your game to make sure that, you know, these things are always checked. Well, people in the office, they, they answer the phone. They're going to ask some questions about who's in the house. Is there anybody ill? Ill? Do you have any special needs and so forth? Um, before we even get out there, we relay that to our crews so they know what to expect. Um, you, well, you also mentioned about traveling. That that's kind of a new question for you guys. Has somebody traveled into an area that you know that you consider to be high risk? Yeah, uh, that's one of the key questions. Is, is anybody ill? Is there any, have you traveled in any uh, high risk areas? Uh, like I said, New Jersey is a high risk area now, so we are traveling in New Jersey. So um, it used to be, have you traveled outside of the country? And now we have to worry about in our country where we're having hot zones in New York, New Jersey, and other metropolitan areas now. So uh, we're in the hot zone. So we have to protect each other and um, prevent the spread um, amongst our employees. Otherwise, we're going to start losing employees for 14 days. I mean, the one thing I'd bring up right there is that, um, you know, asking somebody, you know, have, have they been... Uh, possibly in, in close contact with somebody that may be exposed to COVID-19. Uh, the At large, most of the population hasn't been tested. So really we don't know, you know, who's been exposed, who hasn't. And, uh, you know, to that end, people are asymptomatic for, you know, upwards of, you know, 10 days, you know, and they can be contagious in that time. So how do we even know if uh, our workers or our clients that we're dealing with are actually, uh, Carrying, carrying that virus, potentially uh, passing it on to our workers or vice versa. We don't know. So we have to take those precautions and do what we can to keep our distance. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Just keep yourself extra clean. Um, keep cleaning supplies in your trucks for the guys to wash down with, which they should do anyway, um, which is awareness. Uh, we've been doing training awareness with all our employees um, we have half our staff in the office right now, uh, and most of my guys are on the road. But the guys that are on the road, there's two guys in every truck, like I said. And if one gets it, uh, then they're both going to be quarantined, you know? Yeah, I mean, Brian, now, so you, you're dealing with that, too. Are you typically one-man operations, just to, you know, specifically to your uh, contracting company? Uh, it depends on the segment of the industry. Um, a lot of service technicians are. Uh, a lot of install crews that you have to in the in the vehicle. Um, our stance has been to avoid riding two people in a vehicle as much as you possibly can. And what does that mean? It means sometimes you put somebody in a spare so that way they can ride along behind if you have an extra spare. But you know the reality is there's still work to do, and so sometimes people ride together. But uh, our policy, and I've written an entire protocol for our company, is that a you avoid it, and b um, if you have any symptoms, then you stay home and you're also, you know, the, the, the goal here is to make it really easy on people to say that they have symptoms and not do any of the, the shaming. Um, you get to count on the fact that your people want to work. Uh, if they don't want to work, then they could always use that as an excuse, but that's just how it goes. I mean, you have to just accept that at this point. If anybody I mean, says they have symptoms, you got to believe them. I mean, do you, do you think it's uh, common though for, you know, people in the general contracting industry to actually have, um, 
you know, to have, have the, at least the expertise and even access to the personal protective equipment that, you know, that we're recommending for people that, you know, may be directly exposed to it, such as like N95 masks or reusable uh, type masks. I mean, is that, is that a standard issue in your, in your industry for people to actually have that and be trained? What's the right answer? And I know, I know, no, I mean, and that's, and that's just it. I mean, if you ask most contractors, it's like a lot of things they'll say, well, yeah, absolutely. Because they don't, you know, they don't want to get in trouble. Um, but the reality is, is that no, most, most people who do what we do, do not have proper PPE in their vehicles. You're lucky if they even have gloves at all. There's a lot of stigma in our industry. Um, and so that's something we have to overcome right now. Uh, obviously with the availability of the PPE, it's making it really challenging. Um, I think the good news is, is that recently uh, there's more and more research that seems to be pointing to that some of the masks that initially we were told, you know, we shouldn't use or don't work actually do still have some benefit, um, especially when it comes to protecting others. So for example, riding two people in a van, having them wearing surgical masks probably still uh, has some benefit based on some of the recent reading I'm doing. Caveat, I'm not an expert, Talk, you know, look at the CDC website. Um, but that's what I've been seeing on sites like, uh, you know, Smart Air has done some research on that. It seems to be pretty interesting. So I think there are workarounds that we're all figuring out as we go right now, um, but they're all still workarounds. I mean, it would be ideal if we all had N95 masks and we're wearing them all the time. I think that's undisputed. Yeah, one of the things, I just flashed up a graphic that actually showed a surgical mask comparison to an N95. And, um, you know, I think that's, there's two schools of thought we've now in every show we've done on COVID-19, I feel compelled to bring this up because I think a lot of people in the audience just, I think there was confusing messaging coming out of the Surgeon General, so, you know, saying again that these, these surgical masks really don't provide any, any benefit. They don't really provide any benefit for the wearer to protect them from others, but there's a major benefit in having the wearer not spew their, uh, mucus droplets out at other people and especially in the event if they're uh uh you know affected with a virus and you've seen like in asia they've really embraced that whole surgical mask and just like very lightweight dusk mask and, and i think it's been effective you know in in limiting limiting some of the uh uh exposures yeah, well, there's a new industry that we will see that's going to come out of many homes across america as you know dust masks that actually follow a, a basic cdc protocol and you know, they even say using an old sheet or uh, something that's a high cotton um, filtration is something that they think is, again, effective about you transmitting it or if somebody else sneezes in front of you that you get it. And But of course, your social distancing is the number one thing for that. So uh, I do want to follow up on uh, Brian and uh, Tom briefly. So you guys may have a standard of practice, but is it written? I just want, I want to follow up some of the, the details that I usually go through when I talk to contractors about, is it written down? Is it given to employees? I'm sure Tom, you guys have probably a book that you guys are following. I was wondering if you also done the same, Brian, as something that isn't, you, you can talk about it at a meeting, but who knows if they're paying attention or they say, I, you never told me that I should be doing those kind of uh, conditions. What's your, what's your way of confirming that your employees are following your procedure? Tom, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, I don't have a book. <laughs> I use <laughs> by email, documenting it to all employees by email. This way you have it documented of what we discussed today or what your procedures are or what your recommendations are. Um, we, we kept everything pretty flexible here where we gave people options to work from home. So we have estimators, project managers that can do that, and some of our office staff. The thing is with our field guys, uh, those guys are the ones who are working every day and they're trained to wear PPA, they're trained to be clean. You know, they, they are trained to do proper cleaning in the field. So 
they, they, they know what to do and what needs to be done. And, um, you know, I do see that, you know, sometimes they get together too close or whatever. We have like spread apart. Social distancing is so key here that we're not spewing droplets on each other. And that's the main factor. Um, like like uh, Bob was saying about the mask, it's not protecting, uh, a mask is not protecting you from somebody else, it's really protecting you from spitting on other people, you know. Yeah, I think- I'll spit uh, on people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, all right, all right, it, here he goes. So the thing too is, um, you know, the, the value, I think the, the value of uh, having people your workforce, you know, buy into this. Now, again, I, I would say in New Jersey, right, Tom, I mean, I don't think it's going to be really hard to convince workers in New Jersey, the metro, you know, the whole tri-state area, that this is really serious. He's looking at the numbers happening there. But it seems like there's, and Joe had mentioned this in pre, uh, pre-roll here, um, there's other areas in the country where it's really, you know, it's not even any type of uh, mandated quarantine or any type of uh, change of uh, business as usual. So, how how do we convey the the seriousness of this to our workforce if you're getting you're getting mixed uh, information? Joe, jump in. Uh, no, I'll defer. My, my goal is just be the uh, the, the, the challenging uh, host here. So, um, well, let, so Brian, I, let Brian take this. And Brian, uh, yeah. you know, like you know, again in Florida, it's starting to ramp up there too. I mean, do you have are, oh, wait, how, I, how, sorry, how do uh, your workers uh, perceive it? Okay. Wait, let me just clarify. So our pre-roll, which I don't think was live, was that, you know, Mississippi has a state where their governor says, um, if, if you heard, you cannot shelter in place. No, no municipality can say shelter in place. That is actually against the law, according to their governor. Um, I know that uh, Brian is in Florida where they have intermittent requirements. I know I think Miami has a shelter in place. No, new, new requirement as of today at midnight, it is statewide. Excellent. But California already has conditions saying that uh, all construction must halt um, in several counties. Um, and of course, in New York, a lot of the construction has halted. So there are places where it's it's free to do whatever you wanted to do, not just restaurants, but any kind of work. Uh, other places, you're clearly challenged. So trying to talk to an entire group uh, as a recording, it depends on where you're at and what kind of challenges you have. So um, Brian, so you are in an area that is um, becoming a hotspot. So why don't you describe what you've had to do and just every day probably is a new challenge, I'm sure, based upon the numbers that are uh, in front of you. So why don't you describe what you've had to do to be on the ball every morning to adjust for that? Yeah, so there's always two sides to these conversations. Um, one is that there's regulatory, there's, there's rules, right? And we have to abide by the rules. We have to abide by the laws. Um, but I think there's a much more important question, which is what is the right thing to do? Like what is the right thing for us to do as business leaders? Because it's one thing, you know, level one is to obey the rules and we should all do that. And I mean, obviously there's some people who don't, but I don't think we're even talking to those people. So you got to know the rules in your state. You got to know the rules in your county. Um, you have to be following that stuff as a, as a business owner. And the easiest thing to do there is, you know, stay on top of your, your state health department stuff. And then also, you know, just keep an eye out for what the CDC keeps saying and what OSHA is saying, because they're, they're putting out a lot of new stuff as well. So do that prerequisite. Now, beyond that, what's good practice? Well, I think we have to first be honest about the two sides that we're often speaking to here. One is uh, liability. And so a lot of stuff that people do this dance is about trying to make sure they're not liable. And that's not that that's not valid. Um, it is valid. We live in a society in which you have to make sure that you take care of those things. But I would even like us to put that aside and say, how can we have really 
um, clear communication with our people that makes it clear to them um, what our stance is on things and then communicate to them what's really expected, not just another corporate edict that people say, okay, they're just trying to protect themselves, you know, so I'm still going to do what I want, but they've said what they needed to say because that goes on a lot in construction services. That's a really big part of it. The book says one thing, but the reality in the field is another and everybody winks and nods and knows that that's the case. And so I think it's important that we put things together in a way that our employees know this is what I'm really serious about. So I wrote a four page document um, that is a protocol. It is for Kalos employees. It's basically a, a subset of a subset of what I wrote in my COVID-19 guideline that I put out publicly on HVAC school, but it's specific to our market. It's specific to the type of work we do. And it talks about things like, hey, check your temperature before you leave uh, in the morning. Guess what? We're AC guys. Most of us have infrared thermometers, so we can check our temporal temperature. I think that's how you say that, or your forehead wrist, and make sure that it's not over the 100.4 um, that the CDC recommends. That's, you know, that's the definition temporally for a fever. So if you're above that, eh, that's symptoms, you know, so don't work. Um, and then if you're experiencing any symptoms, you have a sore throat, you have a cough, you have, you know, uh, mucus, whatever the issue is, then don't come to work and just let us know. And we'll, you know, we'll make sure you're taken care of the specifics of that vary. Obviously we have the government standard, but then we also have just good business standard. If somebody takes a day or two off, uh, you know, and it's not like something that's, that's going on for weeks and weeks, and maybe they just ended up having the sniffles and then they can come back once they're non-symptomatic, you know, we'll look at that. So, those are those are really practical conversations that we can have. And I think it's important to lay it out in kind of a three-tiered way. One is, what is your policy? Write that down. Put that in a protocol. And it's not that hard to do. Um, and I'm happy to share mine with anybody. I shouldn't say that because I'm going to have to figure out how to do it. But I'll figure <laughs> out a way to share it with people. Um, so that's step one. Step two is communicate continuously. So what I've been doing is doing company-wide Zoom webinars that I immediately share with everybody via email and via Slack, which is what we use for team communication as soon as it's done. So everybody knows what the current news is. It's, it's fresh. It's right from the horse's mouth. I, I'm the horse in case you were confused about that. <laughs> and then the final thing is um, you have to enforce. And so I walked into the office the other day and some of the guys were hanging around uh, at the dispatch counter doing their paperwork and they were clearly within six feet of each other they're within six feet of the dispatcher and i could see it on her face like help you know like these guys are and i'm like hey you know no that's not what we're doing right now and then i immediately followed up with all the managers to remind them that i know we are used to certain habits and doing things certain ways but that's not working for us now that's not going to be the way we do it moving forward because we've learned so much and frankly i think a lot of times we end up in these conversations messing around the edges of the matter when there's some really clear things that probably aren't being done in our organizations that we can actually hammer down. It's the same boring stuff we've been saying this whole time, washing your hands for 20 seconds with soap and making sure that you cover all the surfaces, staying away from other people, cancel those in-person meetings, cancel those in-person classes, find ways to do them via technologies like we're doing here. So those are really practical things. And I think as leaders, when our, when our staff knows that we're serious about it, we're not playing games to protect ourselves and yes, we are still doing that as well. We all have to. That's called liability. You know, we got to do that. But that it's human, it's real, and we're uh, taking it seriously. And I think when we do those three areas, then we're going to actually uh, make a dent. And not everybody's going to comply because that's just human nature. You know, it's, you know, isn't, isn't that all? I was gonna say, isn't that always the case in the contracting industries? A lot of times, you know, health and safety, you know, sometimes I believe these toolbox talks and all that, a lot of people just, it's lip service, right? So it really comes from the top down. The top, the leadership has to actually demonstrate that this is real and we're really following it, right? Would you agree? 
mean, oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's a, so much of that in our industry that sort of wink and nod um, stuff that goes on that everybody knows that it's all for liability purposes. We have to start getting serious about the things that are most serious. And part of that is also to sometimes cut through the red tape and sometimes say, look, I know we wrote this 5,000 page manual and the, and the correct answer is read the 5,000 page manual, <laughs> but that's not, we're not in a moment right now where we can be, um, where we can be all red tapey about this. We're in a moment where we have to be real. We have to be human. Um, and yes, we may be exposed to suit sometimes because we say things that maybe aren't exactly perfect. Um, but I think it's better that we are proactive and that we're communicating with our people and that they know we're serious than that we're protecting ourselves behind a, a bevy of lawyers. Now, Tom, you, you actually, I mean, you deal with infection control, you deal with hazardous waste, you guys deal, deal with this type of stuff as, as part of your workers' regular occurrences, right, and in, in daily duties. So do you find, is it hard to get them to actually, you know, buy into it? I mean, because I, I got to believe, I mean, I work in the IAQ industry too, and I know, you know, workers that I had traditionally for years, you go through all the training, you demonstrate all the stuff, I would, I would be a project manager working on site with guys, and they'd still you know, you'd still see them like not taking care of their own safety, even though, you know, that's what you're demonstrating and telling them to do. Hey, do you run in that? Well, our guys are trained out in the field to be extra safe and protect themselves. But um, what uh, I was concerned about, you know, is in the office, it gets a little lax. They come up and talk to each other in the warehouse and they're loading up trucks and they, they, they forget about that safety that they've been trained in the field. They, I, I believe they do take it seriously out in the field. They get suited up, gloves. They know the PPE. These guys are hazmat guys. They know what to do and how to protect themselves. But when they're not in the field doing that, that's where I'm concerned, you know, office or truck, you know. Yeah, and that makes sense if you think about it, right? Because from the from the in, in, indoor environmental, uh, you know, industry, you're safe then. Typically, that you're, you, you get off the site, you decon, you get in your truck. Now you're hanging out, you know, you're, you're just living normal lifestyle. And we don't really have any type of a normal lifestyle at present. Yeah, actually I'm saying they're safer out in the field when they're suited up and masked up. It's when they get careless outside of their suits and they're touching things, uh, either a van or a touch points around the office or uh, outside the office, you know. Grocery so store, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm finding like when I go to the grocery store wearing this, they give me some strange looks, you know. <laughs> and on, honestly, I'm not, you know, I'm in New York, you know, you're, you're in New Jersey. We're, we're in the, like the apex of this right now. And uh, I'm not, first of all, I haven't been going to stores. I, I literally have been getting everything delivered and we stockpiled, but I, I've already made the determination. My kids have been calling me from the States they live in. They go, are you going out in public? I go, when I finally start going back out to the various grocery stores, stuff, I'm putting on a full face P100. I really don't care. You know, if, especially if it's starting to get hot. I know I'm a reactionist, but I would be remiss if I didn't use the safety precautions I know how to use, <laughs> you know? So, um, what, what I've learned is that, uh, when you wear a mask, oh, am I on? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're on. When you wear a mask, people assume that you're sick or that you have it and they get the heck away from you. They were like, Oh, he's got a mask on and not many people are wearing a mask. So they're like, Oh, back. I'm like, Hey, that's okay. You can get, get away from me is, is okay. People are like, I want nothing to do with you. So, um, I, I want to switch to uh, how do you communicate what you're going to do to the person who's at the house? 
um, who may have called you. So I'm going to, uh, there, you, Tom, you and Brian, you guys are on different scopes in terms of what people are expecting when you come in. So Tom, you're actually the concept where you, people are inviting you in to help my place become, um, you know, decontaminated. So uh, you people were expecting your guys to show up looking like that and come in. So, but why don't you give us a brief overview about what your, what's the phone call like as to what they should expect from one of your people. And then I'll come back to you, Brian, as to what it is that you, you're, are you telling anybody before they come to a house when they're, a heating system not working and you got somebody showing up who has to go inside. So Tom, why don't you tell us about what your phone call is like for the occupant? Well, like you said, it's pretty normal for us to have guys in suits and masks, but when they're approaching the front door, they're not necessarily doing that in the past. Maybe they are now wearing a mask or keeping their distance. They have to go in and assess the damage and look at the conditions of that home. Typically it's a basement or bathroom area and you could easily keep your social distance. Once we get that established, our scope of work, we can contain areas uh, and do our work uh, isolated from the homeowner where we don't have much contact with the homeowner. So it's pretty, it's pretty clear that we don't have to have contact with people, uh, but just people are more aware of it. And maybe they are more concerned now, uh, everybody's home and we're seeing actually less claims, probably because if there's a lot more people home right now, there's, if they see something leaking, they address it right away. But um, yeah, we see a drop of claims right now where you don't have that many people going out to do service calls right now. Um, but it, our guys are equipped to do it. They could wear a mask mm -hmm. and it would be unusual for uh, a water loss or a sewer loss and, and so forth, mold losses. So um, pretty normal for us. But, but you're seeing, but you are seeing a dip in the, uh, the other services you would normally provide right now. People are, you think, clients are more reluctant to actually do stuff that they can put off? Probably, yeah. I, we're not getting phone calls. We're not getting uh, appointments for that kind of work right now. How's it in the HVAC side, Brian? You know, I guess you're looking at it from a different perspective mm. rather than being an environmental contractor. Yeah. So, you know, we're a commercial contractor and a residential contractor. On the service side, we've seen almost no drop. Um, we're still out doing replacements of systems that need to be replaced in order to get them functional. We're still doing, um, we're still doing repair work. We've seen a drop in maintenance, obviously, and that may only makes sense. Um, we have a whole protocol that deals with um, with the customer interaction zones, and that's that's what we call it. Because in commercial, there's a lot fewer customer interaction zones. A lot of times, we're going up on a rooftop. Um, now, obviously, in those circumstances, it's still good that we, you know, we're not coughing or sneezing into a return or something, you know, like we have to take care of those sorts of things. But uh, but in general, that's covered by the, the more general non-symptomatic um, rules. But we have a protocol about the conversations we have with the customer before we even come out, which is, you know, are you experiencing any symptoms? And if they are experiencing symptoms, we're not going to tell them we're not coming because that's the whole reason why we're considered an essential um, service provider is that people need us to still uh, keep them cool. And so we're just asking the question because if they are, then we're not going to do things like maintenance. We're not going to do anything that's unnecessary in a home where somebody's symptomatic. And then uh, secondly, we're going to just take every extra precaution we can think of. And that's continually evolving right now. We don't have any um, N95s and we're really not even supposed to get them. So that just means that we're going to use the best dang masks we can get our hands on, which probably right now are the homemade ones that my wife is making uh, in the other room with, with uh, several of my children. 
um, using the HEPA vacuum bags all cut up. So, um, so you know, it just depends on the circumstance. But we're going to ask the question, and then we're going to explain to them that we're limiting customer interaction zones. Our technicians are going to wear gloves and glasses and 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 masks um, just for their protection, not because they're showing symptoms. And just explain our our stance on that and our stance on you know checking their temperature and those sorts of things. Um, and then we're going to follow just the regular best practices of hand washing and then also wiping down touch points. So anything we've touched, um, we're going to go through and we're just going to, we're just going to wipe them down. Now, granted, we've been wearing gloves the whole time, but still uh, we just want to be safe because we could have picked it up somewhere else. And so knobs, um, any pulls, anything like that, handrails, anything we've touched, we're going to go and wipe down. And the question comes down to sometimes, which is another challenge in our business. What do you wipe it down with? Because, disinfectants are really hard to come by now too. And so we're kind of working on the disinfectants we had before we've bought some more that are coming, but also we just use, you know, soap and water, which is an acceptable uh, method for dealing with COVID based on everyone I've talked to um, all the way from the microbiologist to the, to the hygienist saying, you know, as long as you do it, do a good job with it, that's an acceptable measure as well. So it's training, you know, communicating with the staff about that. Uh, but as far as customers go, it is really key. Like Joe said, that we let them know that just because we're wearing a mask, that doesn't mean we're sick. We're doing it because we want to make sure that you're uh, protected and that you have that peace of mind. Oh, you know, I just want to follow up one last thing okay. real quick, Bob. Sure. Is that is so there's also a, a required interaction, like a payment and uh, paperwork or <laughs> pardon me, please sign this form. And, uh, and I'm not, contagious that I know of, but I have not been tested. Um, so how are you guys addressing some of those things between the things you must do with the client? Are you able to do all that online over the phone uh, and avoid that? So I'm, I'm, if, if you guys came to my house, I'd be like, uh, the door's open and then you guys can come in and we could talk at a distance. But um, how are you dealing with the logistics that you have to do to complete the day and get paid? Yeah. So in most cases, we don't require any of that. Um, there's other methods we can use and um, we're not requiring signatures, for example. Uh, we don't need that. As far as, you know, getting the customer's uh, credit card information, um, there is that whole situation with the swipe. Um, but it, okay, I mean, that exists everywhere. Like that's nothing different than going to the drugstore or to the local grocery store or anything like that. Um, there is some touching of the credit card that might need to happen, but then you just you know sanitize it when you're done. Tom, you the same? Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with a lot of what Brian's saying here. I like his protocols um, and precautions. And I think a lot of the other companies or contractors out there need to do the same thing. It's just going to be more of awareness uh, these days and um, following procedures is important to protect that individual and, and the public. As a follow-up to that, what should you be telling your clients? You know, I mean, what, what do you, what do you think is the responsible dialogue that you guys as contractors, uh, you know, should be communicating to both, you know, consumer residential type clients or even your commercial clients? Well, we don't have a problem asking them those questions about have, has anybody been ill or traveled or temperature? Um, we have the right to ask those questions. And I told my guys, they have the right to ask you those questions as well. So it goes back and forth, um, communication. And now everybody's aware of what they need to do. You know, it's on TV every day on what needs to be done. Social distancing, wash your hands uh, and asking those questions if anybody's been ill. Even if I, if I meet with a customer and they say to me casually, hey, how are you feeling today? How's your family today? I don't know if that's a friendly comment or a precautionary comment. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian, you know, so what, what 
how is your communication, you know, among among your uh, your uh, office staff, you know, with clients and with your and then with your field service staff? Has that how much has that changed, and what type of uh, new wrinkles have you had to put in that in response to this COVID thing? I mean, again, all of it comes back to the stuff that the CDC is saying over and over and over again. So none of this is new, um, but it does require us to be disciplined, deliberate, prudent in how we have the conversations. And we want to do a couple things. First off, we want to keep our people safe. Obviously, we, we need to keep our people safe. Secondly, we need to let customers know that we have uh, we're doing everything we can to keep them safe. But we live in a world right now that, you know, some there, there's always a type of person who wants to control every factor. And those of us who are business owners, leaders, um, have worked in the field, we recognize that we can't control every factor. We just can't. And so we get a lot of those questions um, from customers. Uh, well, could this happen? Could that happen? And the answer is at this point, we don't fully know what could and couldn't happen because we're air conditioning professionals and we're just following the best advice that we can possibly uh, dig up. That's not what I'm telling the customers, but yes, we are having a lot of these kinds of conversations. And sometimes the best answer is the only true answer, which is, I don't know, we're doing the best we can. And the best we can means following all these items that we've already talked about. And yes, the dispatchers, the CSRs, they are having those conversations with the customers. Are you ill explaining that we're going to be wearing a protective gear? And another one that we've just recently rolled out is the idea of virtual sales calls because there are still people who know that they need their equipment replaced. It's not functioning properly. And we don't need to be dispatching a salesperson there uh, for a lot of those. Now, is it going to be perfect? No, because customers don't know how to use a tape measure sometimes. And there might be a few challenges, but I would still rather do that than risk their health. I, I put out a meme yesterday. I've been going a little meme crazy on these topics, which is basically this, um, the idea that you put your customer at more risk by visiting them to talk to them about IAQ products to keep their air clean than you do by putting the IAQ product in to keep their air clean. And so this is an example of where I think limiting those sorts of interactions, if you can do it in another way, is helpful. And customers sometimes aren't comfortable with the alternative. Some customers aren't comfortable with doing that virtual call, um, but you have to have that dialogue. And, and it is, it's time consuming and it's annoying uh, for everybody involved, but it's, it's what it takes in order to make people not only be safe, but also feel safe, which is, uh, I, I don't want to say it's just as important, but it's a really big part of this equation. You know, and I think that's that's pretty much a big paradigm shift, uh, you know, to, to what we've been accustomed to. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out, too, to all of our uh, live viewers, um, right below the video box, if you're on HealthyIndoors.com, is a Q&A section where you can type in questions for our panelists, or uh, all of us, actually, and uh, we'll try to address those before the end of the show. So by all means, uh, put those in there, and I'll keep a, keep a watch on that. Um, so let's... Um, it, Change gears a little bit. Um, you, you know, I, we we kind of covered this a uh, a bit in the beginning, but um, as a contractor, you know, contractors will typically have a warehouse, right? You have a facility, you, you have a lot of equipment, you have components, you have parts, you know, um, and, and then you'll typically have office space, right? So if you're you're not doing contracting work, so what should you be doing as a contractor to potentially decontaminate your equipment? Do you need to? Is there value in that? You know, are you, because you can't really decontaminate your employees, you know, themselves. And you know, also, you know, I guess that's the question. How, how, what, what are the 
basic recommendations that people should be doing. And I know we'll, we'll at the bottom of our uh, broadcast uh, thread here, we have uh, some links to the CDC documents, uh, a couple in particular we'll flash up at the end that uh, give us some recommendations. But Tom, let me kick that over to you. What, what do you think, what do you think bare bones people should be doing on the contractor side? Well, we always recommend deconning their equipment and tools. You know, like we're used to it because we're working in nasty environments. And I've, I've always have a habit of doing that myself. After doing inspections, I would always have wipes or something to clean up with a spray bottle or rags to wipe my hands after an inspection or doing work for that day before I get into my vehicle and cross contaminate my vehicle. So our guys need to think about the same thing, cleaning uh, before they load up the truck, you know, before they try bring equipment in onto a job site. Um, so cleaning their hand tools and cleaning the equipment is important. Extension cords, everything needs to be wiped down. Uh, but that's a standard procedure for us for because we're dealing with dirty environments anyway uh, for water, sewer, or mold type jobs. So our guys are used to it and we have procedures for that to uh, decon equipment and tools. Can I, I want to follow up with that real quick. So to, one of the most common things that's on many of these threads is that uh, I want my business, I want my home to be completely corona-free and decontaminated. Come in and spray the heck out of it and clean it up. So I'd like to address two things uh, from the this commercial side, which we mentioned, or the residential. And the other one is like, is that, uh, how long is that effective? I mean, I assume that if you sprayed my the, the office down that I worked in, and then everybody comes back to work, is there anything that's still in effect besides that one moment when everybody had a potentially clean environment and then suddenly everybody contaminated it immediately? Can you kind of address this common thread about come clean my house or come clean my office and what's the validity? Yeah, well, we, we are cleaning houses or no, we're actually cleaning offices and uh, commercial buildings, mostly government buildings right now. The scenario is they say, all right, we have somebody that's confirmed to be ill and they were here three, four, five days ago. I'm like, how many people have touched those points since then? You know, but they want us in there tonight to clean up their building. I think they're doing it more as a precautionary measure. And we, we communicate to them verbally and with written documentation that this is not 100% guaranteed and nobody can say that. And it can get recontaminated as soon as it gets as soon as it gets reoccupied again, and everybody should be aware of that. Um, and I, most of the cleaning is precautionary uh, and to minimize risk to others as soon as they can. But like you said, and I think everybody needs to know, it can get recontaminated within minutes after reoccupancy. So we got a question from the online uh, audience. Uh, is there a higher percentage of consumers or building owners uh, asking more questions about how to keep their indoors safer? So I guess, I guess I'll pose that to both of you. Uh, Brian will run it by you first. Um, you getting more calls from general consumers or more calls from uh, your commercial clientele? Um, <clears throat> commercial is interesting right now because in commercial, there's either people who are, uh, so busy that they don't have time to think about anything else, i.e. grocery and convenience, or there are companies that are essentially going out of business and don't have any money or time to think about anything. So, um, we're not getting a lot from commercial, frankly, uh, as of yet, I expect that that's going to be a huge emerging market right now. We're getting a ton of questions from, uh, residential owners, uh, who frankly, especially in the 55 plus community are scared out of their wits. 
um, the challenge, and again, I, this isn't the question, but I think it, it ties right into it, is that as an ethical uh, HVAC contractor, there's a lot you can say uh, about it and, and a lot you can educate to, but not a lot of silver bullets that you can shoot at their problem right now. Um, because most of the best silver bullets are already the things that the CDC is telling them to do. Uh, as far as what we can do to greatly reduce their risk, I'm not convinced that there's that there's a whole lot that's going to be significant. Now, there are definitely things we can do, and, and I talk about it a lot. But yeah, we're getting lots of questions. Unfortunately, there's not as many answers uh, as there are questions. How about your side in the uh, indoor environmental uh, work uh, specialty stuff, Tom? Mostly commercial and municipal. Uh, a lot of the schools obviously are vacated um, and office buildings, a lot of them are vacated. They're all calling us to say, can you help clean before we reoccupy the, this building? And we suggest that they use their own custodial staff to do their cleaning. It's all touch point cleaning using uh, their regular detergents, disinfectants and soaps. Uh, but if they need us, we can help them. Um, that, that's my concern is we're going to get a, a boom of commercial jobs and buildings that need to be cleaned in the next few months for reoccupancy. But then again, uh, does it really need to be cleaned if it hasn't been occupied? So um, people just want to do precautionary cleaning and I try to guide them on what they can do themselves. So I'll, I'll jump to a slide here um, showing uh the CDC site, uh, and we've got the links posted under our show resources here on the webpage, but there's an interim uh, guidance for businesses and employers to plan and respond to coronavirus disease. Uh, it's 20, dated 2019. Um, that's a, that, there's a pretty good document there to take a look at. That page is, uh, is filled with a lot of links and there's PDFs. Another one, there's an OSHA guidance document as well. Um, the OSHA 3990, which is guidance on preparing workplaces for COVID-19. Again, we have links to both of those uh, sites on our, our site here up above the video feed. Um, I would highly recommend you guys uh, take a look at that and uh, download those documents and review them because there's a lot of good information there. Um, you know, I, I think the other, the other question is, you know, do, do our workers uh, and their clients present a greater exposure threat maybe than the, the, uh, the environments? I mean, is, is that the case? I mean, do we, you know, like what, what should we be more concerned about the actual surfaces, uh, the, you know, the, you know, the contact points per se, or, you know, what's happening with the actual uh, humans or the vectors, I think the transmission vectors for, for this virus. I mean, again, there's some anecdotal thought that you, you're going to potentially be able to pick it up off of uh, environmental surface contact. But I, I think by far it's, it seems to be more, geared, you know, or more of the general consensus that it's, it is still mostly a direct contact type thing, right? Would you agree? I agree. Yeah. Direct contact is your primary route of exposure through aerosolized droplets. However, those aerosolized droplets depends on how much droplet is on that surface and how long is that surface going to stay wet? You know, there's different studies out there showing it's going to, the virus can die in three hours or or eight days, you know, so it's all over the place. Nobody really knows. And you don't know how long it's gonna last on a hard surface versus cardboard, like a package that you receive uh, in the mail or so. So nobody really knows uh, the science behind that, but you know, there, there could be a trace, but it could be a very minuscule uh, risk ex exposure on a surface. You know. It seems like we're playing catch up a little bit because here we are, you know, in the middle of this crisis, but we don't really, 
we don't have a lot of uh, extended data on, and you know, on how this virus really acts. I mean, you know, obviously it's something that, that popped up in uh, November of 2019. It's not that long ago. And there really hasn't been, I don't think there's been enough study on our side in, in this country to actually get us to where we need to be. We're just seeing the guidance documentation coming out now in the last couple of weeks, most of it. Uh, one other one other guidance document I'll mention that's on the link there. Uh, EPA has what's known as List N, which is uh, the various disinfectants, surface sanitizers, cleaning agents, and stuff that have that they are listing that probably will be acceptable for use on on this COVID-19. Again, none of them, EPA is not making claims that these products are going to definitely be effective. They're they're you know citing them as you know products that would likely be effective. So that that link is also there. Um, how do you think this is going to change the way we actually do business going forward, guys? I mean, you know, we're going to come out of the other side of this, clearly, right? I mean, you know, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later and hopefully with less mortality rates than we're currently looking at. Uh, but how will this change the way you guys do business in the future? I mean, will you be more, you know, are you going to be doing more uh, preparation for future pandemic situations like this you think there's going to be more of an awareness and you know and maybe the uh thoughts of stockpiling some more resources like brian we how will this change your business model on the on the other end we've always kind of had a um i don't know a, a post-depression era mindset about our business anyway um which is you know save your money uh use cash uh, make sure that you've got a good base of of uh, supplies. Make sure that you're not always jumping to every opportunity just because you can do it and overextending yourself in business. A lot of these challenges from a business standpoint, a lot of what I think will change it from a business standpoint will be the same things that changed uh, every time we have an economic downturn where people once again realize that when things seem too good to be true, they probably are. Now, this is of no fault of the economy. This was because of something we had no control over, but the same fundamental things apply. And I think it's humorous to me how politicians of all flavor keep coming out and saying this is nobody's fault. And what's funny is, is that most things, uh, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. You know, like it happens, we have to be prepared for it. Just because we didn't create the problem doesn't mean we don't have to deal with it. And in business, as business leaders, that's something we always have to have uh, in our minds. And I, I always talk about, you know, making decisions based on my, the advice of my grandma, you know, what type of advice would your grandma give for business, not knowing anything about your business, but just knowing what they had to go through in, in uh, post-World War II, uh, post-Great Depression. And that is, it's fundamental stuff. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's love your neighbor as yourself, but, uh, but it's also on top of that, you know, make sure that you're taking care of number one too, making, make sure you're keeping things, uh, aside and that you are self-sustaining. And I think from a geopolitical economic standpoint, we're going to be more aware of that as we see things that we can't build because we don't have the parts to build them and we don't have the know-how to build our ventilators. But in the, in the micro sense for companies like mine, it's going to be, yeah, absolutely. Do you think I'm going to ever run out of hand sanitizer again? Do you think I'm ever uh, going to be in a position to be without N95s once this settles down? Absolutely not. Um, and so hindsight is 2020, which is going to make us hopefully much more prepared for the next one. The problem is, and this is the nature of black swan events, is that the next one may not be a virus. It may be a bacteria. It may be something that yeah. we haven't seen before. And so it's always those fundamentals, though, that are going to uh, make good businesses uh, last. And it'll be the same thing is true 
uh, with this one as well. But it reinforces that again, because sometimes you go on as a business owner and you start to get disheartened and you start to think, gosh, you know, everybody else is doing great. And I'm over here just, you know, saving my money and buying things with cash. And then things like this happen. It's like, oh, now I remember why. And now I remember why grandma was right. I want to follow up with you on one thing. So you mentioned the virtual interaction. Um, So I was wondering, are there things that you're learning about your process that you may uh, expand upon or like realize this actually is something that, you know, like we're all doing this a lot more. We realize we don't need to travel as much probably to communicate or learn a lot about from others. Have you figured out other things in your process that are going to be integrated hopefully in your future about how you guys do business, Brian? Yeah, for me, I mean, I am loving this. That sounds terrible because I'm not loving it. I hate everything that's it's happening to everyone. But from the standpoint of um, really narrowing down to what is essential in processes, uh, communication is essential, but all gathering into a group and all driving to one room, that is not essential. Now, I understand why it is uh, useful and why there's certain things that you can do in person, certain connections you can make um, that are positive. But I think largely in business, we need to get unaddicted to those in-person forms for areas that they're completely unnecessary. Um, so honestly, I think, you know, introverts, I'm kind of a high functioning introvert, but introverts are like in their zone right now because we can do what we need to do uh, without the need to always be gathering in these giant groups. Um, so I think that's a huge part of business. And hopefully it's a lesson that we will learn about streamlining, about what really is necessary, what is essential and what isn't. Perfect example being our uh, virtual sales process. You know, there's a lot of things we can probably do that we don't need to physically be there so long as we have a homeowner who can carry their phone around and show us what we need to see. Great. So another question from the audience. Um, are all upper management uh, in your companies wearing uh, proper PPE around the office to set the example for the rest of the workers? Um, that's that's an interesting question. But Tom, let me, let me kick it at you. <laughs> You're like, We're not wearing PPE around the office. We have plenty of PPE and all that. We're not doing that. Uh, we are cleaning daily and people are cleaning their own stations and all that stuff. Um, we do have a few guys out in the field that they'll, they'll wear a mask while they're driving next to somebody. Um, that, that, that's fine with me. Um, no, we're not, we're, we're using the PPE out in the field when we're in contact with the environment and the other people out there. But social distancing is the number one thing yeah. you can do. So as long as you're not, you know, if uh, that somebody wants to lean in and talk to you, that hopefully has been curbed um, because nobody liked that before or after. Yeah, it was never popular. Yeah. Really, but I mean, but I mean, it does raise an interesting comment, you know, because there's a lot of processes that people in the contracting world, whether you know, whether you be doing uh, indoor environmental work or you're doing just general contracting or mechanical contracting, where there's more than one worker tasked with doing a task, right? You know, I mean, they have to be working in close proximity. Two people have to pick up a heavy component, or two people, you know, how how do you get around those things if you're if you're trying to social distance? What what's what's the solution to that? Well, that I think that's where people have to get used to wearing masks in applications that masks are, uh, you know, appropriate. That that's that's the reality, and and this is what you know. I'm getting a lot of this. I wore a mask into the office um, yesterday when I went in, and the reason is is because I have the most minor of possible symptoms. But who knows? I could be I could be a carrier. I haven't been tested. I don't fall on the curve that should be tested, but I have super minor symptoms. So I'm staying home. And but I had to go into the office to sign a document. And so I geared up and I said, you know, stay away from me. Well my my teenage son saw me doing that and he was making fun of me. Uh, is the I think the proper 
a phrase for that. And I said, look, you know, like if I'm going to expect other people to do this, you do need to model that type of behavior. But I don't think anybody's telling people to wear masks 24 hours a day. You know, I don't expect workers to wear a mask when they're piping in a condenser by themselves. That's that's silly. In fact, that's probably more of a risk. I mean, of course, you could have the right kind of mask depending on the the circumstance. But wearing a wearing a typical N95 or a or a surgical mask doesn't make sense in that application. So I don't think anybody's saying you have to wear it all the time. You just have to be smart. You have to think about when you're going to be forced into situations where you're going to be in close proximity, and that's the perfect time to wear more gear. So let's get a couple of uh, closing, good closing thoughts from both, both of our expert panelists here. You know, I'd like to like a couple of, you know, two, three bullet points of what would, what would be the key things you would, would say for a contractor to be looking for, you know, and what they should be doing uh, out in the field right now, what they should be doing in their, in their practices or, or considering modifying in their practices. Tom, I'm going to throw it at you first. I would probably say getting more information up front. Uh, having more communication with that customer before showing up to the house or office or whatnot. Um, so getting that information, where is the loss? If there's water damage in the basement, these people don't need to go into their main part of the house. They could just go right into the basement, minimize contact that way. Try to get documents signed up front uh, by email or whatnot. So you're doing, a, I like that term, virtual interaction. You can get more of that virtual interaction going uh, you know, online with uh, emails and so forth and phone calls. How about you, Brian? Uh, I'll throw three things out there. First thing is um, I would encourage contractors to really understand COVID-19 better than they do. Um, I think there's a lot of people who are spending a lot of time watching CNN uh, and seeing the same things over and over and not as many who are spending time really reading and talking to experts so that you can understand the nature of this virus because it's not bacteria, it's not fungus, it is different. And understanding that, especially for people in our trade who are tasked with informing uh, the general population about it, I think you need to understand it better. The next thing is you need to communicate. You need to communicate with your staff more consistently and you need to communicate with your customers um, in ways that have them really understand what's going on so that they're not seeing things and getting the wrong idea. And then finally, you do have to enforce um, this stuff. Like you've got to actually take it seriously. And that doesn't mean you've got to be some big jerk. Um, people who know me know that, you know, about as, about as aggressive as it gets with me generally is sarcasm. Um, but you have to at least be uh, providing some sort of enforcement. And uh, from a technology standpoint, just on the, on the subject of the, um, of the kind of virtual interactions, Zoom is great. Zoom is great uh, technology. That's what we're on right now. But also look at Google Duo. Um, if you're trying to communicate with people one-to-one, you can go Android to iOS, iOS to Android. It's a nice, smooth, easy-to-use service for those of you who may be afraid of using those sorts of technologies. But you are going to want to get used to more of that and a lot less of what we're used to, which is hop in the truck, go look at it myself. Because in some cases, you're going to potentially put a customer at more risk doing that unnecessarily. I'm going to try to grab one last audience question here, too, before we close out. Uh, let's see here. Um, the question is, OSHA has requirements for voluntary use of respirators, uh, paper or cloth masks, as well as half-face reusable respirators. Can, can you speak to how um, you're handling this uh, as far as OSHA's uh, 
OSHA's recommendations. Well, I'm going to chime in before you answer because <clears throat> I Googled this in the background, of course, so I want to make sure I knew what Abe was uh, asking. So in the uh, OSHA does have actually examples of this if you Google it as to questions that have been asked and answers according to um, them officially. So you, I gladly hear what these guys have to say, but if you're looking for official answers from OSHA, you can Google that same question and uh, find their official responses as to when is it required, facial hair, a variety of the details that you might be looking for that we can't cover at this exact moment. And we do have we do have a link to uh, the reuse of personal protective equipment also up in our uh, uh, show resources. So that's something you can take a look at. And a final one, uh, I've seen uh, different ranges with regards to recommended RH ranges, 30 to 60% or 40 to 60%. Uh, any comments on that? Like, does it make sense? You know, and I've been hearing it, you know, we've, we've been covering this for several weeks now and, and we've heard, you know, heard all different recommendations. So higher humidity is going to reduce transmission, but does it? I mean, thoughts here? There's been some pretty good uh, preliminary looks at this. And the answer is, in general, higher humidity uh, is better as it relates specifically to COVID-19. Um, but the problem is, is that there's two sides to this equation. One is general respiratory function. Uh, as well as you know, immunofunction of the of the occupant of the home, and then the other side is uh, the actual virus itself. And so we can't go much higher. You know, sixty percent would be like you're actually getting risky there. Um, so you, I wouldn't suggest going higher than sixty percent. If you want to get higher than that, well then go outside. You know, go outside if you're in a safe place where you can go outside. That would be a place where you can be exposed to higher. Uh, relative humidity, but there's also sorts of other things that come in at higher relative humidities that can reduce your respiratory and immunofunction. Um, and so I don't suggest anybody going over 60. Um, but other than that, lower uh, does it does cause this virus based on all the research I've seen so far um, to uh, be able to survive uh, a little bit better. And it comes down to questions of respiratory droplet size. And there's a lot of factors to that and why that is. Um, so even in cold uh, dry climates, you do want to try to keep it up near that 30% relative humidity mark, uh, which means that you're probably going to have to use humidification, which that's a whole nother thing, uh, a whole nother set of risks that you have to mitigate. Yeah, because I mean, now, now you're pushing the threshold of my, the other microbial issues that you, you have in an indoor environment. You start pushing up humidity and, uh, you know, now you're subject to having more mold, bacteria, dust mites, everything else there. Tom, thoughts on that? I wouldn't go too crazy thinking about humidity, what level of humidity is, is necessary to reduce this. It's more of the social interaction than it is the humidity issues. It's going to be the droplets, the, uh, the uh, respirable aerosols uh, from humans to humans. So it's not uh, airborne in HVAC systems or uh, necessarily flying around the room. You know, so my concern is more interaction than it is uh, humidity issues. So there is a, a good study and the study was, I, I know uh, Brian's read it <clears throat> and it talks about actually a study in hospitals that uh, dealt with a variety of parameters and they found that low humidity below, they said below 40, probably was closer to below 30, had a higher risk of flu being transmitted throughout the hospital. So it was a great study that showed why most people thought of low humidity. It didn't really impact a lot of people, but there's, it was off the charts as to being the number one impactors, how flu was transmitted through hundreds and hundreds of people throughout a hospital. So uh, it, there are studies about that, but again, 
you're right, social distancing and other things to be uh, focused on. But the reality is that when you have a higher humidity, uh, your uh, things don't stay in the air longer and your lungs have the ability to combat those. When things are drier, they're smaller, they get into your lungs. So <clears throat> it is sort of more of a long-term maintenance issue for your house, not something that's an immediate concern uh, next week as to how do I change my humidity to avoid this situation. So that's really the reality is uh, think about what is it you want to do to maintain humidity in your house for a long term, not just next week. So that's, we're, we're at the end of our no, time wait. here. Oh, well, yeah. I want to do a one final no, thing wait. before you close. So, <clears throat> so for those of well, you I didn't close you out yet anyway. I didn't close you out. Okay. I, I wouldn't okay. do that to you. Well, so that we knew going into this, we didn't begin remind you at the end you'd be like what the hell just happened because these guys didn't tell us what we needed to know and the reality is we don't know to, we don't know <laughs> and i don't know what your situation is so the goal is as, as our professionals here today says go do your own homework apply these things to your situation document them and make sure everybody's on the same page because we thought last week we can come up with hey here's what everybody needs to know about doing contracting um you know in general and we realize that that is just too broad of a situation uh, because there's so many different uh, processes and methods that contracting actually we encourage you to do your homework. We have lots of great links on the page. So, so with that, I'll remind you that um, we, we have a bunch of links on this page you're watching the show on, whether you're watching it now live or you watch it recorded later on. And also the uh, March digital edition of uh, Healthy and magazine which is out and available now it's a free uh, monthly publication we dedicated it to uh, our pandemic issue uh, not to be sensational but there's uh, a whole bunch of uh, COVID-19 related articles in there um, we're covering uh, more stuff on a daily basis at healthyindoors.com so that's I, I think that's a good resource for you to take a look at so I would like to uh, thank our guests here um, you know Brian, uh, it was great to have Brian Orr uh, from the HVAC school, and uh, you can get to his his podcast, uh, all of his blogs. All, he's got just a ton of great site. It's HVACRschool.com. Uh, you're seeing that graphic up on the screen. Um, also, uh, Tom, it's great having you here. Um, Tom Peter from IRS Sports. Uh, special our uh, irs yeah insurance restoration specialist at uh, a new jersey in the whole uh, tri-state area um again really great having a gentleman who's a contractor and industrial hygienist simultaneously it's a uh, uh but really great to have and of course my wingman for this show this week uh and becoming a regular wingman here joe medosh from hayward score and uh hayward score is uh, is a uh free service out there that you can actually get some evaluations on your individual residential indoor environmental situations. And yeah, uh, don't, you don't need to go to the house to have uh, your house evaluated. Yeah, so that's it's online. a great, great process. It's online. It's free. Hayward4.com. So um, with that, again, I'd like to thank our guests again. Great, uh, great for attending us. Thank you to the audience that watched us live and certainly, um, you know, on the recordings, you know, by all means, reach out to us at healthyindoors.com with any additional questions you might have. And uh, we'll be doing this show uh, live weekly, every Thursday from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for the summer. Uh, I'm Bob Krell for Healthy Indoors Magazine and the Healthy Indoors Show. Thank you very much.